0: Welcome to Radio Chatter. I'm Robert Beveridge. I'm Jordy
1: Asher. We started this podcast for class, and now we're running with the idea and seeing where we can take it. Beveridge, today's topic, pretty deep. What are your thoughts?
0: I'm ready to get into it, man. Looking forward.
1: So, we recorded this podcast yesterday. This podcast is for my class on police violence, but we also saw this to be an educational opportunity to inform people of the global aspect of police violence, especially in regards to Southeast Asia, which is what my research project was about. In this episode, Beverage will be leaving the questions. I will be answering them. We talk from topics as far as why there's torture in Southeast Asia with the police and what is the global phenomenon of police violence.
0: Be sure to tune in to our next episode where we follow up this conversation on police violence and the events this weekend involving 2nd Lieutenant Nazario, by discussing the intersection of the police and the military.
1: Hope you guys have fun listening. Any questions, let us know on our webpage.
0: All right, let's jump into it. Hit them with the, uh, the hypothesis and the topic, and then we can get into the weeds.
1: All right, so kind of the hypothesis. So first, I kind of want to talk about like the idea of where it came from. So... I've always loved Southeast Asia, and I was kind of interested, based on what I do, to know more about policing there. And kind of with what I've talked about and learned about this year, I think it's just kind of a really important topic. So kind of what it was is that democratization itself lends to greater police violence due to buildup of police forces as having the monopoly on violence. Police act as the agents of control for the new democratic regimes, which results in greater violence, and in this case, torture, which... uh really crazy stuff in that that we'll get into that's kind of the hypothesis and yeah then we can go from there
0: you already talked about where the idea came from no love for southeast asia uh what is the data that supports this topic like what are the numbers all right like?
1: so the data so we got a lot of data um we have a web page that we're going to put a link under with the podcast so i got this data code book from my professor and it's a lot of data like i'm talking huge this thing literally has every country in the world in the police violence robert (laughs) i don't know why i'm calling you robert i'm gonna call you beverage (laughs) beverage from now on in the podcast no one call him Robert. he doesn't like he likes beverage all right so basically what i was going back to is that there's all this crazy data that we can obtain on police violence and basically what i did is i looked at this data which is literally Dude, I looked at it, it was 100 pages plus, thousands of rows of Excel data. I never seen one bigger. Unbelievable, so cool. And I said, okay, there's got to be something I can narrow it down to that I like. So I was like, all right, Southeast Asia, what can I look at? And what I noticed weirdly is there's a ton of torture by police every time I knew from political science history classes that a democratic regime would take over. So I said, okay, interesting. So I talked to Davenport, I said, Hey, there's this interesting correlation. And he gave me a lot of cool sources to look at some books about torture, which were kind of good for background info for me to understand it. And then have you ever heard of V Dem beverage, V democracy?
0: Professor Davenport, that's like a website, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So V democracy is a website and we have some of the graphs on our website. So. With these graphs, what they show is basically the democratic index of a country, and that's basically the numbers of how high a democracy is. So there's a max and a min. Min means literally no democracy whatsoever, horrible dictatorship. Max means the free-flowing of democracy in its purest form. I'm not actually sure what that looked like, but I'd be interested to like, you know, figure that out with beverage sometime. Yeah, I will, I will um,
0: jump in and add one thing, because every time Professor Davenport brings up this website, he always makes the point that they use 300 metrics to measure democracy and having free and fair elections are only one. So
1: True, true, true. Okay, good good to know for our readers and listeners. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I actually forgot to say that, but that is true. Like You go on the website and on the left side, you you counter for variables and you can do one, which allows you to just basically take all 300 into one line. And what you'll see there is on the lines... So first one we have is Vietnam, as you'd think, pretty basic. There's only that one big gap, which is when they opened up the country a little bit in the 90s. But what gets interesting is when you look at countries like Malaysia, who had really big bumps in the 2000s. Cambodia, which after the massive Khmer Rouge massacre, had a huge bump in democracy. And the ones that are really interesting for data purposes are Thailand, Philippines, and Indonesia. so the reason these are interesting is because the data when put on a graph is just kind of horrible to look at uh it's kind of sad to you know read and talk about this stuff in my opinion because we're talking about people getting killed and tortured so if we look at our first graph on here it's torture over time in thailand by police and on our web page we have this graph next to the vdem graph and what you'll see is that there is a direct correlation with when democracy increases in Thailand to when this torture just spikes for a amount of years. So let's take the early 2000s. From the early 2000s to 2003, when there was a military regime coup, there's just consistent torture by the police to citizens. And this is kind of what I was searching for. I didn't look at paramilitary groups, anything like that. It was the police to citizen groups. And it's kind of unbelievable. And Thailand's not a country with a lot of democracy. So another good graph I had was I combined Malaysia, Philippines and what I kind of found is that there's again this crazy jump in torture and it's again in the early 2000s when all these countries had this democratic regime build up and you know it's it's unbelievable because in some cases like in the Philippines you'll see it, there's consistent torture where it's you know, three times it happening in the data set in just one year, which for the data sets pretty crazy because the data set goes from the early 20th century to uh, a little early in the 21st. So, uh, yeah, and that's kind of just the basic ideas there, Beveridge. Uh, what are your thoughts?
0: Um, I'm curious. Did you do any research on what the regime in Thailand prior to the, the coup looked like?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. So I did a bunch of research on that, and that's also found there. Is that the regime before was run by a military junta. So if you look at the V-Dem specifically, it kind of corresponds pretty directly showing the military junta. Where there's just this sharp decline in the 90s, late 90s. And then Thailand has this cyclical cycle. It's one of my focal points, so I like to talk about it, especially for this. Um, It just has a cyclical cycle of continual military junta then the king says all right democracy time then they go back to this democracy too much democracy people start saying oh we don't like this we don't like how the king does this and then it goes back to the army torturing people but during those democratic times even though people have more rights there's consistently more torture in the country especially by the police it's crazy like there's more torture like if you look at the the graph the torture is just zero, like zero. There's just killings. Like they'll just shoot people. But it's like less in an effect than it is during these certain time periods we're looking at. And kind of just to emphasize that point, I have this graph, that blue graph. You look, it's right above the torture by police over time. So this is torture over time by police to citizens in Southeast Asia. And it continually increases in those democratic regimes where there's more than one torture cell in the data set where it's more than one so what that means is basically there's more than one occurrence of torture in that year and uh that kind of made me think why and i'd really like to talk about that as well but i think it's important to kind of understand the data and get to that as well so what do you think about that bev also we should probably talk about other countries as well when we have a chance
0: yeah yeah i like that so Right now, you're just talking about the correlation you see between the two graphs as democracy increases, put, torture by police increases, and then we're going to try to figure out why that might be, right?
1: Yeah, we're going to try and figure that out. Two seniors in college are going to try and solve you know, police violence in a podcast. That's our goal.
0: Yeah, keep it under an hour. Wrap it up. Light like,
1: work. work the day. <laughs> you know, maybe take a nice run after. You know, get a couple <laughs> cold beers going. Yeah. Solve the world problems in a day. That's our goal. To, um, yeah. but when we actually said that, it made me think. I, when I looked at the data originally, do you know anything about Indonesia, Bev?
0: Nah, I know it's the highest population of like Muslims of any country. That's literally a.
1: Okay, so we should probably educate some people as well because I think it's interesting. So Indonesia, let's look at their VDEM graph. It's on this last page of our website here. Indonesia has some of the largest increases in democracy in the VDEM website. So around the 2000s, this is because there was a military regime that was overthrown during that time. And what kind of occurred there is that the voting and opening up of the country created a power struggle in a lot of ways. And what we see there is that there's this massive occurrence of police torture, and particularly on the graphs, like you can see on that torture over time. Indonesia has the most consistent numbers, which I found fascinating when they have the highest numbers of any country for VDEM democracy in those times, which is mind boggling that people have this freedom But at the same time, they are getting tortured and killed.
0: So, what is prompting the state to torture and kill these people? Is it largely acts of political dissonance? Is it just like yeah? So
1: that's that's what I thought was interesting too. And um, I read this article that Professor Davenport gave me, and it was done through a prison professor. And basically, what his argument was that people torture because they want to torture. I think this evidence kind of shows that there may be some incorrectness in that statement, because if people just wanted to torture, to torture, I would think that there would be a lot more consistentness in the police, uh, in the police torturing citizens. Um, But kind of back to your question, what I kind of saw it as is there's this argument by Reiner, who writes in a book called Policing Protest, and basically what he says, I'll read a caption. This will be on the website as well, is that he kind of discusses that the police were used in democratic societies and capitalistic societies to maintain the order. And what he says is emerging industrial capitalism required a tighter disciplining of hitherto, I don't know how to say that word, hitherto, whatever, loosely regulated aspects of social relations not only over demonstrations of rioting, which are regarded as threatening the social order, but routine crime and everyday disorderliness were themselves seen as having crypto-political significance. So I think that's pretty powerful what we're talking about, is I think that kind of goes back to this idea we're talking about. The police are the monopoly of violence domestically. Bev, you and I are in going into careers where, yes, we have the ability of violence, but we're not domestically the power there. You know what I mean?
0: Some context real quick. Jordan and I are going into the military. Not aspiring cops or anything like that.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not aspiring cops. Bev is going to Bullock, which is infantry training in the fall. And I'm a judge advocate going to OCS next summer. So any anyway, besides that, with our context, I think it's interesting. A lot of people think we'd be like pro-police and stuff, but I think it's important for us out of all people to be constantly aware of this issue because uh, it's something we're going to see a lot of.
0: I think it's good to have like a healthy skepticism of the state as somebody that's True. working for the state.
1: Yeah, that is interesting because I think that's maybe a part of this as well. I think in democracies, there's this idea that... You know, patriotism is key, and I think it kind of goes back to why there's this torturing and killing is that these people go outside of the system, I think, in a lot of ways. They're not adapting to this new democratic, capitalistic regime. And I think we're seeing that non-transition in terms of violence, and I think that's seen all over the world. So another book I thought was interesting on this topic is Badges Without Borders. Bev, you'd love the book. Badgers Without Borders basically talks about how the US runs a global empire through the police. So there's that as well, Bev.
0: Elaborate on that real quick. I want to hear more about that.
1: Okay, so basically the book kind of summarizes in one graph. I'm gonna show Bev this visually so that he doesn't have to look at it because it's on the website as well. So see all those dark squares,
0: Bev? You see that? Yeah, I see it. I see it. Uh,
1: (laughs) So those dark squares, that's where the U.S. has sent police assistance. So the argument goes, in my own words, that the U.S. influences other countries by influencing their police because the police are a monopoly on violence. And through their monopoly on violence, they can use their power to influence those countries And I think that kind of goes back to what we're talking about these countries. I think in a lot of ways, if if you look at the data as well, the US is consistent allies with the countries we're talking about, which begs the question, I think is a further question to what we're discussing. Is there aid there? I think that would be another research topic I would discuss if I had more time and kind of bring that back into it. But I think what can be a basis of that is that even without military aid, I think this argument still stands that the police can be used as the invisible hand, the invisible hand of influence. Like let's think about in the U S for example, right? Like we have cops patrolling streets and stuff, but it's like, they're the image of power in a lot of ways. I think is why we have them do that stuff. Like how often are cops really like, you know, arresting someone for an actual crime? Like, I don't think it's that much. I get speeding tickets from cops. They look bored. Like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, Presence, I feel like, especially places like your college campus, just yeah, know that they're out and about. It's really yeah, for the most part.
1: Yeah, and I I think that kind of goes like this argument of why they torture. I think it's kind of to send a message in a lot of ways, and to just exert influence of the state. Because I like I I actually thought about this in myself. Like, what other apparatus does the state have for control in a democracy? Like communism has like armies, right? Like secret police. But like democracy is not like we have a secret police.
0: Man, you know what I mean? This is these are the kind of questions you're asking yourself after taking a class at Davenport.
1: <sighs> True. You like contemplate the whole world. So I that's why it's awesome. But yeah, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting topic. I think to like talk about the research It's kind of like Yeah, there's this correlation, but why? I I I for me I feel like that's more important of a question than just so I think the data speaks for itself. I think it's pretty evident: the more democracy, the more torture. But I also wonder, like, what gets out of the torture, right? You know what I mean? Like, what gets out of it? Like, like, what are you gaining? You know, I think that's a good topic because I talked to Davenport about that as well, and he brought up that argument I said earlier, where people just torture to torture. What do you think, Beveridge?
0: It's been, from what I've read, I did a paper on the, um, what was it, human rights. Oh, let me pull it up real quick.
1: Yes. Well, Bev's pulling up. We'll also post on there so you guys can read Beveridge's fabulous, fabulous writing. Not a
0: chance. Not a chance. Was, <laughs> I did a paper on the Convention Against Torture and other cruel, and Humane in and degrading treatment for punishment. And all the research that I did for that paper, there was like a unanimous agreement that torture just does not work. Like, people will say whatever they have to to get the pain to stop. So besides being True. bad and immoral, it's also not effective. So
1: so I think with that, and we have a solidified evidence with that Bev's paper, I think, <laughs> hey, you're a reliable source, man. That's a paper. That's all I'm going to say.
0: So, it's a B plus paper. So.
1: Hey, 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 that's, that's what we're looking for. B plus, in my mind, authoritative. <laughs> but I think that kind of goes to that idea then that, If the torturing is not for a purpose, that makes me believe through the evidence we're seeing in Badges Without Borders in this policing protest article, that it's really done to just exert the control of the state. And I think to exert the control of a democratic state specifically.
0: Well, yeah, like the way we were just talking about, we haven't seen a cop arrest anyone like ever in person, right? Like just kind of the threat of it being there, like if I know my government's not above napping me in the middle of the night and then like tearing off my toenails and then like branding me i'm probably gonna walk the line be a little bit more careful about what i do and say
1: yeah i think especially in like countries where there's constant regime changes like this would be something i'd be be, like interested in as a next topic is like are countries that have consistent regime changes more prone to like this democratic increase in policing because like southeast asia There's consistent regime changes, like you can see in that data. Like, let's look at the most recent one in Thailand, for example. So in Thailand, consistent regime changes. Like, if you look at the end of that graph, consistent up and downs because there's so much violence. So like in 2007, that was the most recent regime until recently. Crazy effects based on, like, voting. You can't even say the king's name in public because now the police can arrest you. The police can arrest you for that. Like, and that's a democratic regime based on our V-Dem graph that's increasing in V-Dem democracy in terms of those categories. So, I mean, I don't know. I think that's also something that's interesting is that there's this whole aspect to the torture and the violence that's maybe meta in a sense. That's not just the person itself, but it's the idea of influence, like in this Badges Without Borders article. You should read that book, by the way.
0: Yeah, I just wrote. I wrote it down.
1: Yeah, you would love it.
0: Got a laundry list of reading to do for this summer.
1: <laughs> laundry list. Laundry list. Yeah. Do tell.
0: Oh, just I keep getting recommended books like left and right. I'll just keep a running notes like thinking in systems, Terrorist Dilemma. There's just like cool stuff that just gets name dropped in all my classes, and I want to check out.
1: I agree. But I really believe that's the crazy thing about taking classes such as Davenport's is that this is something I never would have talked about or learned about. But now that I know it, it's it's just crazy to me. Like this is something that our generation has no conception of. And if we were famous podcasters, everyone would probably listen to this. That's why we're gonna get famous and we're gonna be on Joe Rogan's podcast talking about police violence oh, in about Joe two Rogan years is
0: coming on our podcast.
1: Oh, no, no. Joe Rogan's coming on our podcast. We'll let him know. Yeah, we'll, we'll send him the
0: dates. Don't we'll blow up. Don't worry. Um, it, though, it, like, it makes sense in one aspect that torture would increase if democracy increased, because people have different avenues to voice their opinion in a more democratic system. You can really only torture if you know who your opposition is, right?
1: Yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, Davenport actually brought that up one time, which I thought about bringing up in the research, but I didn't. It was that, like, in the policing protest book, there's this whole idea that when you know everyone and your intelligence is known and you can pinpoint where someone is, especially in the 21st century, you, you can prevent protests before they even happen because you can just eliminate them before they even get there. So I don't know, but
0: I would be especially interested to see what metrics, because we said there's 300 metrics on BDEM, right? Yeah, which ones are increasing in these countries? Like, is it the free and fair elections, where people can actually change who their representatives are, and like the politicians are beholden to their incumbents, or is it more like superficial? Oh yeah, that like just like yeah, you guys can now gather in public spaces, but we're all going to know who you are, or you can yeah, so member of certain parties, so we now have that information.
1: Yeah, I I actually looked at that at first. And it is the the reason I chose the larger statistic was that they're too changing for any consistency. Uh, Because I looked at, like I was talking about earlier, I have these history sources that I use to define when the regime changes are happening. But there is no consistency because each regime brings on different characteristics. So like in Indonesia... The current prime minister he has been in office a long time but people consider him to be the barack obama of indonesia but people are like oh his power is getting too strong people's voices aren't being heard but at the same time people like by every metric he is the best uh president there in terms of democracy but at the same time he's limiting people so i think that's why it's interesting to think about southeast asia especially is that it's a region where You can have a lot of freedoms, but at the same time, the torture idea, you can lose them in a day. Or in the same day, you can have them and not. Like, I I don't know if that's the same here. I don't know if that's getting off topic, but I just think it's interesting.
0: Yeah. So, um, going away from sort of our impressions of this data and what we thought, what were uh, some other scholarly... Opinions on this thread.
1: So, the scholarly opinions I kind of found were kind of based in our readings for the course because I thought that would be more specific. And what I kind of found is that this argument is concretely found in *Badges Without Borders*, where throughout the book a consistent argument is made that the police are, in a sense, the muscle of a democracy in that the US and countries of that nature with a similar democracy have used this in the past to maintain their empire. So I think that idea really is true and that I'm going to f- I'm going to read a passage really quick from it. Cable News host Chris Hayes tried to say what it is the police do when they maintain order. Why the maintain Why the maintenance of order raises hackles and engenders street protests. Invoking the internal colony metaphor, he highlighted how solving a crime is now what police do primarily. What police do, he found, is ensure order, which he differentiated from safety. And he offered an interpretation of why the prevention of crime and disorder has fueled protest movements. So I think that kind of goes with what we're talking about. And I think at a level that can attribute as to why there's these regime changes in these countries it takes it a step forward it's kind of outside but i think if i had more time like a year i would definitely look at how this consistent police torture is just perpetual cycle like there's more torture regime change goes really bad and then it goes back to normal and then you know there's this consistent cycle especially in southeast asia and i think that's crazy that it's all based off of violence which i think is interesting is that in some way people do not want to be controlled but at the same time the system necessitates the control because we need that nine to five schedule or in thailand you know nine to one am because they need to make money
0: is this unique to southeast asia the global trend
1: so limited research limited answer i can say in some areas, I would say it does, but I think it's hard to compare regions. I think thinking globally with an argument being used as the basis as uh, badges without borders is easy because all I got to do is look at this graph I've posted, which shows where the U.S. has given police assistance, take those regions, and show that they have these crazy ups and downs of v- in VDEM. So I think yes, but I, I don't want to say a definite yes because... I don't think I personally have done enough research to define that, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this completely around the globe. I think it's different. I think you'd have to look at different metrics. I don't think torture may apply to every country. Maybe they see more killings, but I think violence by police is a consistent trend based on just what uh, I've read from Badges Without Borders, this whole consistent argument.
0: Yeah, it is interesting that this is – so focused on torture instead of murder. Like especially thinking about what's happened in the US the past year, the past four hundred years. It seems like it's more just outright killings than there are active deliberate torture. Yeah, so
1: that's kinda why I chose this topic in a way, is that it wasn't killing, it was torture. Which I found interesting. And I thought maybe it could be cultural, but I never looked too into it. And I'm glad I didn't because What Davenport told me one time is that in research, you can get bogged down with a lot of stuff. And I think with this data, it's just kind of basic. And I like that because then we start asking more questions and, you know, then, because I do want to continue this research. So I think these are some good questions to think about because another podcast, we can talk about like the follow-up questions that we've taken on and really look at how this is a global issue. You know, I think that's a big thing to give anyone who's listening to this or ever will, like... The idea is that the police violence occurring in the United States is not just a United States issue. You can look at this data and see this is not just a United States issue. It's a global issue that we all are consistently facing, and we all need to ask ourselves, what in our society does this? And I think that's why it's important for projects like this to exist, um, so that the data's there. We can look at it and say, holy crap, there's something wrong.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sounds like we might not solve the entire problem just today. No,
1: no. I think the more we talk about this, the more I remember and realize from Devin Ford's class that this issue will not be solved by two guys on a podcast.
0: (laughs) Doesn't mean you can't try.
1: Hey, I'm going to try until the day I
0: go. All right, coming up on half an hour. Is there uh, any other points you wanted to make looking at these data sets?
1: You know, but I think we've covered a lot in this past 30 minutes, a lot more than I thought, which is honestly surprising. Um, yeah, it's not surprising. We always go pretty deep into the stuff. But I kind of wanted to know, we talked a little bit about your perspective with police tactics. I remember you telling me, and I wanted to hear a little bit about that because I'm curious.
0: Yeah. So, uh, we kind of skipped introductions. Uh, story said, I'm Robert Beverage. I'm taking a class with Professor Davenport, full site 489, social movement efficacy. And for our final project, we're making a handbook for Ann Arbor activists, specifically students for, uh, for students at the University of Michigan. And I wanted to do a deep dive on tactics. And I was hoping to talk about what police tactics look like in Ann Arbor, in Detroit, in Ipsy. And, uh, like, kind of how to subvert those. Um, I remember during the BLM movements over the summer, I'd see videos or, like, those Instagram infographics. It was, like, how to respond to tear gas or, like, how to make homemade gas masks. Like, getting pepper sprayed. Like, what do you do? I'm like, damn, this shit's super interesting. Like, consolidating that kind of info. But also want to toe the line and not overtly... Um, Advocate for violence against police officers, just because I feel like that would complicate my uh, career down the line. Trying to get like a top secret security clearance, that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's um, that's what I'm doing. So let me see, I can pull it up real quick. I've got some stuff written down.
1: All right, because I think that's interesting, especially what we've been talking about now. And when Beveridge and I originally came up with the podcast, like, hey, this is a great idea. We'll take both of his classes and put them into a podcast. We got way off topic because we were both kind of energized. That's okay. We're back on topic now. And I think this police tactics Conroe will kind of add to what we talked about before, kind of give it like a next level feel. All right, Bev, hit us with
0: it. All right. Yeah. So, you know, you know, tc of course, right? I like rewrote that for how to engage and like tactically analyze. um,
1: Wait Bev, for anyone who doesn't know, define METTC.
0: So METTC, it's like the cop-out answer of all things ROTC. It's an acronym and it's kind of like a framework to analyze missions. So M, mission, E, equipment, T, time, terrain, troops available, and then civilian considerations. So as you're doing any operation, you're like, all right, What's the T C? What are we here to do? What's the mission? What equipment do we have? Like, how much time do we have to do it? What's our area of operation? Like, what's the terrain look like? How many troops do we have? And then, who's like around us? Like, what civilian considerations do we need? So, taking that from looking at it in the military and the army, it's the largest organization uh, you could possibly imagine, and then trying to rework it so it could be for uh, grassroots activism, it's been. Been an interesting project definitely more rewarding than any of the other papers i'm writing right
1: now taking met tc when we're taking that to protesters how did you toe the line is my
0: question um well i'm not saying i'm anti-violence against police i just am saying i don't want to say that i'm pro-violence against the police and like a university project <laughs> so one, for this course we started off we read this is an uprising um which is about social movements in the 20th century. And then we read The Failure of Nonviolence by Peter Gerdeluss. And it's pretty much the two sides of the coin. It's like, should protest be violent or nonviolent? And I really liked what Gerdeluss had to say about having a variety of tactics and letting your, the people partaking in the protest kind of choose how engaged they want to be. Like having physically separated spaces where, if, you know, some people want to, sing kumbaya and just like do a sit-in they can do that and then if other people want to bring like firebombs and burn some shit like that's another option so
1: all right question then all right so based on what we talked about like let's say we're in southeast Asia. let's take a scenario right if you have this is just my opinion i mean i haven't taken that class but based on the data i have obtained you have a high likelihood to be tortured if you're protesting right so, what would incline you to do one over the other in a situation where you know you might get your fingernails like ripped off by someone?
0: Well, yeah, um, kind of going back to allowing people to choose their level of involvement. Like, not everyone's going to be willing to have that be a risk. So, but you'll find people that are like both of us were going into the military. Like, there's some risk with that, and we think it's kind of sweet. Like, we're stoked to get it out there and like jump out of planes and get shot at. Like, it sounds cool. So. Um but I'm trying to think specifically yeah. but looking at Southeast Asia, um the only way Gary Lewis would say that a social movement can be actually successful is if it addresses the roots of the problem, like what allows for inequality to take place in this country? Like where where's the source of that? And then he would he would kind of like scoff if you said like, oh, we can do a letter writing campaign and that'll stop cops, that'll torture us and kill us. Because you said they torture to torture is what your research indicates, right?
1: All right. So basically with this idea, right? We look at Southeast Asia, the torture and that idea. We look at the root of the problem. That's kind of what we were talking earlier about when you asked me that question. Let's look at VDEM. So I think that'd be a cool project to take like both perspectives and say, okay. I think we're getting onto something here is that if we took those metrics, looked at them specifically and looked at, okay, when are these the lowest, but the democracy itself is the highest, we could identify that those maybe are the points in society that need the work. And then those could be the ideas of where the torture is used, and then that's where the protest is needed. So I feel like this is a good point we're making. And I guess a good stride. What do you think?
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Episode number two the podcast.
1: That's number two. Number two is action. We're going MetTC here. Today's mission.
0: (laughs) Wait, so you're obviously more familiar with what's going on in Southeast Asia. Do you have any suggestions, any cures on how to move in the right direction?
1: See, that's a tough thing because whenever someone tries in Southeast Asia, they usually get killed. So... Uh, it's very fine line. Usually what's worked in Southeast Asia in the past, if you look at any group, it's been through years of consistent protest over the government. The government's always been the focal point. It's actually not what they're doing. It's, it's hey, these guys are the worst, like personally, um, because people care more about the personal aspects of them that, than they do the rights in Southeast Asia. So that's why I think it would be so interesting to take this perspective you have into like protesting. I don't know in a country such as Myanmar, let's, let's take that right. That's a country that I think is something that at some point we should probably discuss. Um, but I don't have the answers right now. I don't know. I think it's just cause I clearly whatever they're doing right now is not working and they've tried everything. They just keep getting shot. Need, uh,
0: need to utilize some different tactics.
1: Yeah, all right. Bev, suggestion for me and Let's hear it. off the rattle.
0: I don't know what's going on, man. I gotta look into what they've done, what they're doing, and where they want to go. All right, I like that. You've heard that. Yeah. Diagnosis, prognosis. Me. Yes.
1: All right. Good. 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 That was a good answer. That's what. That's what I wanted to hear. All right. Next time we'll have to come in with some more info. Research it. But also, I'd like to get Davenport on our podcast. I think that's that's a, that's a person we got to get on the list.
0: Yeah, it's not the easiest guy to get a hold of.
1: I, I have no comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Bev, what are some final comments from you on today's podcast? We're we're raining out that forty minute mark. We're doing pretty good here, chugging along.
0: I'm I'm curious, like, what 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 was your overall takeaway from this course? Like, what are you walking away, um? having gained? What would you I say? I like that. It's a good question.
1: I would honestly say from my perspective, the thing that I've gained the most is through this project. It's kind of like showing what I've learned the most and that it's, this is not a US problem, police violence. This is a global problem that's occurring at a global scale. And there are some situations around the world where we cannot fathom what is going on with the police because it's just something that doesn't happen in our society. But at the same time, in our society, people are consistently getting killed. And we I think to solve this problem, we got to look globally, which I think that badge that borders argument, but consistently referencing is so important because the police are a global issue. So that's kind of my thing And that. If anyone asks me anything now about police violence, I would just literally tell them to watch our podcast because I think I've said that quote like 10 times already. This is a global problem, people. All right, Bev, question back to you.
0: What did I gain?
1: What did you gain, oh, learn, man. excel?
0: <laughs> I think it always like a heavy course. I like I tell everyone I'm like, yo, you gotta check out this this class. Like, very rewarding. The readings were actually super interesting. But honestly, I'm just like, I'm more pro-violent now. I think. Like there was um a quote that I used in my midterm where it's like, would you expect people that are being um oppressed to be, like have moral high ground over their oppressor? Like, would you be angry if, like, the Jews during the Holocaust were violent against the Nazis? Like, if there's a group that is hell-bent on your extermination, you should do everything you can to resist them. And just, like, I always kind of had that in my head, but reading it explicitly and then seeing historical examples by a guy way smarter than me was, like, really cool.
1: Yeah, I felt that, too. This course was heavy because every time I read something like this book... I just remember I read the Badge Without Borders book and policing protests, and I just thought to myself, I was like, holy crap. Like, I felt like I was reading a conspiracy theory that no one was listening to, like aliens. I was like, yo, they're right here. Like, none of you see this. There are aliens among us. I was like, the police are a global issue. Like, but people are just, you know, I don't know. I think it's hard to get out of that mindset, especially.
0: You've got people in the states that don't even see policing as an issue here, despite everything that's happened
1: yeah i I don't know i think that's tough i think something i'd be interested to know is why in a lot of ways i mean we have talked about in my course but i'd like to do i'd like to see like some polling data like what's like the number one reason people are like oh the police aren't an issue like do they think killing is fine like that's another thing i think is interesting like do people honestly think like these killings and torturings we're talking about are justified because i think you and i would say probably not but like i feel like there has to be some people that would be like yeah it's justified
0: yeah, I'll, I'll go on record say I'm not pro torture. Not just I'm not
1: justified. It's also not legal. So, lawyered.
0: Got him. Yeah. No, I mean, from your research, like, what do you think the general opinion is in some of these countries, like Indonesia, for example? What is kind of like the uh, general opinion of what's going on?
1: It's a difficult question. I think in a place like Indonesia, for example. Because I, I don't think it's—I don't think the data's looked. I don't know. I have to see if like that's a known fact that the police are torturing and killing people. Like, I'm, that's something I would love to n- learn about. Like, as a next level thing beyond just my basic research. Like, do publics acknowledge this just like the U.S. does now? That—that's a good question, actually, Bev.
0: Well, it's also it's regional yeah. in the states. Like, the police violence occurs in higher places. And then it's talked about in higher rates in those places. Whereas like if you would go down south, like there's probably lower rates of police violence, and there's a whole lot of less discussion surrounding that topic. So the U.S. is a fair bit bigger than Indonesia, but I wonder if there's the same kind of geological
1: No, climate. that's true. But then at the same time, when I think about that, I think like uh, if countries like Vietnam, which I think are interesting, is that like... On the data, which is on the page, you can see that on the V-Dem graph, they're pretty much the same, but they have these crazy jumps in police violence. And that's something where I was stumped. And I told a professor, and he was like, you know, that's not a part of your data set. They're not a democracy. And I was like, but but I need to know why. And that, like, that's why I love talking about this, because there's so many questions that come up, because topics like these aren't just solved in 40 minutes is they're so complex there's so many things going on you can only do so much as one I think person
0: This is uh, gonna get you a good grade
1: no comment i'm not doing this for the grade man i'm doing this for society <laughs>
0: so noble. hey
1: i'm just trying to empower our generation to be honest that's why i think you and i talk about this stuff is good because like honestly i think more people need to uh, have people explain to them these issues kind of how we're doing now like breaking it down not someone in a book i, I feel like this is a better medium for you know people in our generation because you listen to it you can cook you know i don't know i don't know what do people do when they listen to podcasts i usually drive
0: i drive same I do. like do
1: people like actually like sit down like you know i'm gonna listen to a podcast like you know what i mean <laughs> maybe that's some data we should do bev see what see what audience we're reaching
0: and thanks for having me sorry it's low energy today but happy to be here hope uh hope professor davenport in your class enjoy this podcast
1: all right thanks guys um hopefully we'll come out with another one you know beverage is having high enough energy um but you know some great notes today uh really just hope this helps people understand police violence better and with a little added flair from beverages class so like that we'll be out
0: Peace. <laughs>